Hello everybody, this is the first sermon looking at our new series, The Mission of Jesus. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 8 verses 1 to 17 and the title is The Healing of Outsiders. I'd like to begin by asking us all a question. Who are the authority figures in our lives? Who are the people that when they speak we immediately respond. I often found myself marvelling at the power of ferry workers. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's their high-vis jackets or demonstrative gestures. Maybe it's their frequent frowns of displeasure at my driving. But when I'm parking on the car deck, they have my complete and utter obedience. In fact, the Jura ferry workers scare me a little bit, especially after I crash my car pulling off the replacement ferry back in May. When they say left hand down, my left hand is down. When they say keep coming, I keep coming. I follow their instructions to the letter. As a passenger, the ferry workers have total authority over me. No questions asked. But if it's not the ferry workers, I wonder who else has the power that when they speak, we jump to attention. I guess through the pandemic, it was people like Chris Whitty or Jason Leach. As they came on the TV and explained the next set of lockdown restrictions, they had our rapt attention and on the whole, our obedience. Maybe it's the police. Maybe it is our boss at work. But what I'm guessing is that the majority of people we respond to in this way, we do not actually know much about them. Not really. Not their personal lives, what makes them tick, what they are like when they take their uniforms off. It is very rare indeed that we form a close relationship with someone who has total authority over us, isn't it? What I'm trying to point out here is that in our passage today, Matthew does something very unusual. He introduces us to the personal character of an authority figure. And not just any authority figure, the authority figure. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In chapters 5 to 7, Matthew recorded the most important teaching ever given by a human being on earth, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But just listen to how he concluded it in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. As Jesus taught, it was clear that he had an authority that the crowds had never encountered before. The Jews were well used to listening to teachers and religious experts. In fact, that is what they spent a good deal of their time doing. But never had they heard someone like this. Jesus was something else. His teaching was utterly sublime. It was radical in its implications and it came with such a weight. It just could not be ignored. But now Jesus has given that teaching. Matthew wants to go on and record for his readers what this Jesus was really like. Who he was as a person his values and character traits, what he was about, what his priorities and ambitions were. 
Matthew really wants to introduce us to Jesus the man. For as we get to know Jesus, we begin to discover that our encounter with him cannot leave us untouched. We have to respond to him in some way. And of course, that is why Matthew is writing this gospel. He is wanting to tell us about Jesus, so we choose to respond to him in faith. Tonight we begin a new preaching series. For the next six weeks, we're going to journey through Matthew chapters 8 to 10. We've just completed a series looking at what is our mission as human beings. What is our purpose in life? I want us to follow that with a related series where we really ground the same question in the study of Jesus. What was Jesus's mission on earth? What was he about? How can we join in with him? As we look through the next six passages, we're going to follow a really simple structure. For each passage, we're going to follow three lines of investigation. We're going to ask, who is Jesus? What is Matthew trying to show us about his character? We're going to ask, what is Jesus' mission? What is he trying to achieve? And then we're going to ask, how are we to respond to Jesus in our lives today? All that will become clear as we go on. So let's get started. The first question we're going to apply to our passage, Matthew 8, 1 to 17, is then the question, who is Jesus in these verses? What is he like? Matthew has told us that he was an authority figure, but who was behind that authority? We all know that authority in the wrong hands can be disastrous, So what was the character of Jesus like? Is he someone who will attract our attention for the right reasons? Our reading today was made up of three short stories. Each one tells us something different about who Jesus is. In the first story, the healing of the man with leprosy in verses 1 to 4, we discover the great purity of Jesus. In the ancient world, Any form of skin disease was said to make a person unclean. They were not allowed to enter the temple. They had to be stayed away from. Because if you touch someone who was unclean, you were made unclean by association. I guess we're becoming quite familiar with that form of thinking by the way contract tracing works during the pandemic. If we spent too long in close proximity with someone with the virus, we too are deemed a risk and have to self-isolate. It's very similar to what was happening 2,000 years ago. But what certainly does not happen today is for the process to work in reverse. Someone without the virus comes into contact with someone who does have it and leaves them safe and well as a result. But that is precisely what happens here with Jesus. Jesus is so pure, so spotlessly holy That he himself is not made unclean by touching the leper. Rather, his contact makes the leper clean. His great purity overcomes our impurity. It is an astonishing thought and would have made the Jews' head spin. Ever since Moses' day, 1500 years previous, 
they had followed the purity laws of the Old Testament, but suddenly they were now turned on their head. They were to be in no doubt that in Jesus, a man greater than Moses, a man with more authority than Moses, was now walking among them. So the first little story tells of Jesus' purity. The second speaks of his absolute power. In verses 5 to 13, we meet another authority figure from the first century, a Roman centurion. At work, he was used to snapping his fingers and a hundred men armed to the teeth would jump to attention. They were totally at his beck and call. They would lay their lives down on the battlefield at his order. But this centurion has a problem. He has discovered something that even he does not have authority over. His servant lay paralysed and in great pain and there was absolutely nothing that he could do about it. Yet clearly this centurion had heard about Jesus and recognised in him the power that he required. He was convinced that Jesus could just speak a word and his trusted servant would be healed. This is indeed what proves to be the case. Jesus instructs the centurion to return home and his servant was healed in that very moment. Oh, what joy the centurion must have felt as he arrived back at the bedside. This is clearly a story about power. By comparing him to a Roman centurion, Matthew is showing us that Jesus has more power than any other human on earth. In the Sermon on the Mount, he spoke with authority. Well, his actions certainly back it up. Jesus has power in word and deed. He was and is everything that he said he was. So Jesus had purity and Jesus had power. What then does the third story tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus also had a wonderfully personal touch. Jesus did not always heal from a distance. More often than not, he showed his personal concern through caring and sympathetic contact. In verses 14 to 17, Jesus enters his friend Peter's house and discovers that his mother-in-law had a fever. Instantly, he went to her bedside, gently touched her hand and the fever left her. Of course, there is again great power demonstrated here, but it is the compassion of the moment that Matthew is really trying to get across. Jesus might carry all the authority in the world, but that does not make him cold or self-centred. Rather, he was and is passionately concerned about the lives of ordinary people around him. So this is who Jesus is in the three little stories that make up this passage. He is a man who carries the greatest authority when he speaks. But behind that is a spotless purity, a life-changing power and a personal concern. When you put those things together, we have someone that we really cannot take our eyes off and who we will never forget. Unlike those ferry workers, police officers and bosses from work who have our rapt attention for a few moments, but then when we're away from them, we do not give them a second thought. Jesus is then utterly unique. So that answers our first question. Who is Jesus in this passage? The second question that we're going to ask throughout this series is, what is Jesus's mission? 
What was he working towards while he was on earth? And what is he still up to today? Did you notice in verse 3 that Jesus told the healed leper not to tell anyone what had happened to him? He was to go and offer his sacrifice so that the priest could announce him clean again and so that he'd be able to retake his place in the community. But he was not to speak of the miracle itself. Why did Jesus give that instruction? Clearly, he did want people in Israel to come to hear of him and put their trust in him. So why the secrecy? Well, the reason is that Jesus did not want the people to get carried away with the healing itself. Rather, he wanted them to focus on what the healing pointed towards. Jesus simply did not have time to heal every sick person in Israel. And every sick person that he did heal did then eventually die of something else. None of them are still alive on earth to tell the tale, are they? Now, we just remember that whenever we read of Jesus healing or doing a miracle, that they are ultimately teaching aids, dramatic illustrations that help us to see and understand what he was really all about. Matthew himself points us towards this truth by the way he concludes these three little stories. In verse 17, he wrote this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. That quote comes from a very famous song in Isaiah, the song of the suffering servant. Isaiah foresaw that the suffering servant would be God's representative who would take all the sin of the world onto himself and die under its load, enabling humankind to experience forgiveness and healing. In this regard, the fact that Jesus healed a leper is quite illustrative because leprosy was a disease that well resembled the spiritual condition of humanity. If you contracted leprosy in the ancient world, it was akin to being sentenced to a living death. Listen to these verses from the ancient law, Leviticus 13, 45 to 46. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Leprosy then was highly contagious. Leprosy not only caused great pain to the sufferer, it also ostracised them from family and friends. In a strange way, leprosy was also seen to separate them from God. Being unclean, lepers were not allowed into the temple where God was thought to dwell. And of course, without the more advanced medicines of today, leprosy was usually fatal. Can you see... Leprosy had many similarities to the disease of sin, which also infects our lives, breaks us down, tears families apart and ultimately leads to death. Jesus healed the leper by touching him, which in those days would have been seen as a moment where he contracted the disease himself. Jesus also heals us of our sin by taking all our sin onto himself and nailing it to the cross where he died. Because he did that, we can be cleansed of our impurity. We can be forgiven, set free, and given a clean new start. 
The healing is an illustration of what Jesus was really about, dealing with sin in the world. But it is a little bit simplistic to reduce the whole of Jesus' life down to the forgiveness of sin and personal salvation, vitally important as that is. These stories also touch on the wider remit of Jesus' mission. Jesus also wants to heal and restore in wider ways. The leper was brought back into his community, restored in the eyes of family and friends. The centurion, a Gentile, an enemy soldier, was welcomed into the kingdom of God, showing how God's love is for all people on earth, not just the Jews. Peter's mother-in-law was shown great value in a culture where women were often left out on the fringes. Jesus came to heal humanity fully, to forgive us and restore us into the image of God to reconcile all the divisions and divides in society. Indeed, he came to heal the very creation itself, as shown by his power over physical created bodies. What is Jesus' mission? The forgiveness of sin. Absolutely, that's where we should start, because it's sin that caused all the other problems in our world. But as Jesus deals with sin, he also works to restore all the brokenness that it has caused. Jesus' mission is to heal humanity and to heal his world. So we have discovered something about who Jesus is. He is the ultimate authority vigour, who lives a life of purity, power and personal presence. His mission is to heal humanity and the world by taking all our sin and infirmity onto himself. That then leads us to our final question. How are we to respond to this Jesus in our lives today? I think this passage shows us two things. First of all, we are to respond with personal faith. Just notice how strongly personal faith is stressed in the first two stories. The leper comes and kneels down before Jesus and places all his trust in him. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean, he says. Then the Roman centurion had faith so strong in Jesus' power to heal that verse 10 tells us that it amazed Jesus. Indeed, the passage went on from there to explain that it is this radical faith in Jesus that brings us into the kingdom of God. The Roman centurion, an outsider, discovered God's blessing, whereas many in Israel would miss out on the kingdom of God simply because they failed to demonstrate the same faith. Sadly, their fate would be darkness and weeping. The response we are to make to these stories of Jesus then is one of faith, to put our trust in him, seek to follow him with our lives and to do what he says, to give Jesus the instant obedience we give to the ferry workers, not just with our cars, but with the whole of our lives. Secondly, this passage shows us that once we've encountered the kindness and compassion of Jesus, we're to get up and serve him likewise. This is, of course, what Peter's mother-in-law did. As she got up from her fever, verse 15 tells us that she began to wait on Jesus. How do we wait on Jesus today? Well, we join in with his mission. 
We're to go on declaring who he is and what he is like to those who live around us. We're to cross the boundaries the world sets up to share the love of God. No one is too unclean or from the wrong people or race. No woman is less valuable than a man. All are important in God's eyes and all need to encounter Jesus for themselves. We are to act out the values of the kingdom in the way we treat other people, particularly those who are vulnerable, excluded or oppressed. We are to love the little people who no one else sees value in because it's through humility, not pride, that we enter God's kingdom. So there we are. Our series exploring the mission of Jesus has begun. Who is Jesus? He is pure, powerful and personal. What is his mission? He wants to forgive sin and heal humanity and the world. And how are we to respond? We are to respond in faith and by committing ourselves to serve him in word and deed for the rest of our lives. Let us begin that response now in prayer.